Welcome to the Talking Poem Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Green. On each episode, I invite a poet, critic, or reader to bring in any poem they'd like to talk about for any reason. It could be old or new, well-known or obscure. We'll see what delights us, excites us, potentially what frustrates us, and we'll see where the poem and the conversation turn. And after that, we will have a little silliness because I can't help myself. I am delighted to have on this episode a friend from grad school and the first recording with someone from the reader category, William Callahan. In the bio he sent, I did not write this part, William (laughs) describes himself as a failed academic, but I'm revising that to escapee from academia, who is also a semi-retired teacher and full-time house husband. Will is a transmasculine queer person who lives with his wife and three cats in South Minneapolis. Will, I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, Charlie, it's an honor just to be nominated. Thanks for having me. (laughs) You asked before we started recording why I'm having you on. You share on Facebook every Sunday, except for the Sunday that I did curse you uh, by accident, uh, a sort of Sunday poetry thing. Can you talk just a little bit about that, why you do it, et cetera? I think it kind of started during COVID. I found my attention span was so horribly impacted. I mean, I I used to be one of those people who could just plow through books in an afternoon, but my attention span was so rattled by COVID that I could really only focus on very small things. And so I'd find these little diamonds in my sort of reading travels and I would post them occasionally on Facebook and I would get a pretty positive response from people who I hadn't pegged as people who would be appreciative of that. So I just started making it kind of a tradition. So I had to do it for myself on Sundays. And I know our mutual friend and queen of all the honeybees, Liz Tilton, has done the same. And it's just been really cool to see just some engagement with poetry that I like from people who I like and or with people who I like. So it's been it's been it's been good. Awesome. I appreciate it. I spend less time on Facebook these days, and I'm always glad when I see it. Although a lot of times when I log into Facebook, I'll get something from six days ago from someone, and I don't know why, which is part of why I don't go on Facebook anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I love doing the Poetry Sunday stuff, but I have to criticize, you know, the medium. Facebook is extremely problematic, but the benefit that I find is it's allowed me to keep in contact with a wide-ranging network of friends, including you, who, like, I don't know what you'd be doing now if we didn't have this weird little tool. So yeah, I like it. I like it for that, too. Mm-hmm. Espionage, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Who who looks better than they used to? Who can I continue <laughs> to be jealous of, et cetera? Right. Et cetera. <laughs> so you've chosen to talk about Vietnamese-American poet Ocean Vuong's poem, Beautiful Short Loser, which is from his second collection of poems, Time is a Mother. And a reminder for listeners, there's a link to the poem in the show notes, as I always do. Will, before you read the poem, any brief press you'd like to offer? Part of the reason this poem hooked me is the title alone. Charlie, I am a beautiful short loser and I am on a winning streak. So I, I, it had me at the jump. That's fantastic. Well, whenever you're ready to start, go ahead and and read the poem. Okay. Beautiful short loser by Ocean Vuong. Stand back. I'm a loser on a winning streak. I got your wedding dress on backwards and playing air guitar on this dirt road. I taste my mouth the most. And let me tell you what a blessing. The most normal things about me are my shoulders. You've been warned. Where I'm from, it's only midnight for a second. The trees look like grandfathers laughing in the rain. For as long as I can remember, I've had a preference for mediocre bodies, including my own. Tell me this, why is the past tense always longer? Is the memory of a song the shadow of a sound, or is that too much? Sometimes when I can't sleep, I imagine Van Gogh singing Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah into his cut ear and feeling peace. Green voices in the rain, green rain in the voices. Oh no, the sadness is intensifying, how rude. Hey. Can you get me out of here? That one time Jackson passed out on his triple stack of jumbo pancakes at Denny's after top surgery. I can't believe I lost me boobs, he said a minute before, smiling through tears. The sadness in him ends in me tonight. 
It ends tonight, I shouted to the cop who pulled us over for dreaming. I'm not drunk, officer. I just believe in miracles. Tomorrow, partly cloudy with a chance. I'm done talking, sir. I'm saying what I feel. I'm on the cliff of myself, and these aren't wings. They're futures. For as long as I can remember, my body was a small-town nightmare. Now, I'm a beautiful short loser dancing in the rain. Inside my head, the war is everywhere. Do you think I'll need a gun where we're going? Can you believe my uncle worked at the Colt factory for 10 years only to use a belt at the end? Talk about discipline. Talk about good Lord. Maybe he saw that a small thing moving through a large thing is more like a bird in a cage than a word in the mouth. It can't be free without breaking open. I'm not sad, he told me once laughing. I'm just always here. See, officer, the world is a magic trick. Everyone disappears. Why aren't you laughing? No, not beauty, but you and I outliving it. Somehow, I got me for days. Got this late light in the yard, leaving blood on the bone, colored fence. This thrash of spring we drown in to stay a while and mean it. I mean it when I say I'm mostly male, that I recall every follicle in the failure the way they'll remember God after religion. Alone, impossible, and good. I know. I know the room you've been crying in is called America. I'm sorry the door is not invented yet. Wait a while. Like death, we are both useful at the end. Finally, after years of failure, I'm now a professional loser. I'm unstoppable. I'm crushing it in losses. I'm mopping the floor where Jackson's drain bags leaked on his way to bed. I'm done talking, officer. I'm dancing in the rain with a wedding dress, and it makes sense. Because my uncle decided to leave this world intact. Because taking a piece of my friend away from him made him more whole. Because where I'm from, the trees look like family laughing in my head. Because I am the last of my kind at the beginning of hope. Because what I did with my one short, beautiful life is to lose it on a winning streak. Thank you so much. I love the way you read it because it has a sense of humor that is very funny and very direct and, and wry as well. And is that is that why you wanted to talk about this poem or, or part of it? Pardon me for popping in to interrupt. At this point, I inadvertently called William by his pre-transition name because the last time I actually was talking with William in person was before his transition. And so I've cut out my apology and William's very, very gracious response. And I just want to apologize again for my mistake. Back to the show. But I, th I just think that's great because it's, I think it actually does kind of speak to the nature of the poem, you know, like Jackson is such a wonderful kind of visibly trans name. And so this is very much about, you know, taking away a part of someone to make it make himself whole. Like I am, you know, currently in the act of transitioning to male and I haven't gotten the medical stuff done yet. So this, this poem speaks to it. And unlike a lot of trans people, I don't refer to Kate as my dead name. It's a former alias I think going back to that espionage piece and it was a part of my life that I want to honor, even if it's not where I'm at right now. So no hard feelings. Yeah. That's one of the things I wanted to ask about is the ways in which the poem for you echoes your or evokes trans experience in your particular case, not that you have to speak obviously for the trans. Well, well trans we are a monolith. We all agree on everything, obviously. Oh, yeah. except, except that Bud Light is bad. Um, <laughs> as, a, as a beer, not as a company. Well, yes, as a company. But um, I don't know. I think overall it's a very queer poem. And I use that word very intentionally when I describe the poem and also when I describe my identity, because, you know, like somebody asked me a couple days ago, it's like, well, if you are going to be a man and your wife is a cisgender woman and you're married, that makes you a straight couple, right? And I thought back to all of my extended years on this planet. And I was like, nothing about those years was ever straight. You know, like there's no, 
there's no way we're ever going to be like a traditional heterosexual couple. And so this queerness that it invokes, you know, dancing in a wedding dress backwards in the, in the rain. I mean, that's just, it doesn't matter what body that in, that the person is in. It's such a wonderful image of just kind of like, can I swear on this podcast? Yes. I'll put an explicit tag on the beginning. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a wonderful, like joyful, like fuck it. Wedding dress as an image is so instantly recognizable and so gendered. And so whoever is in that body and is out in the rain playing air guitar is somehow absorbing that symbol into a more complex version of his or her or their identity. And I think that's a beautiful. And, you know, these these moments of like Jackson passing out in his stack of pancakes, like, I can't believe they took my I feel like I've had that conversation. I haven't been at the Denny's, but my God, I've had that conversation <laughs> where I'm seeing my friends come back from these really, you know, pretty intense surgeries. You know, and, but they're so happy. They're just so so much lighter. Like they, uh, there's a Lizzo line that's like, I, I got to get this off my chest. I need a breast reduction. And that's it. It's like all these queer people that got something to get off their chest and it just happens to be actual tits. So again, explicit tag. But yeah, I think it's just a preference for mediocre bodies, being a professional loser in a war, there's my head. I mean, I think queer people, especially now, DeSantis can take a long walk off a short pier. You know, queer, visibly queer people are under attack in a lot of ways. And so to just revel in that kind of outsiderness in such a public way. It's just just absolutely joyful to me. It's delightful. That's one of my favorite things about the poem is just how brash it is. That opening line, like stand back. That's just a mm-hmm. great way to start the poem. And like you said, the sort of brashness about the wedding dress and all these things that are sort of recognizable culturally, like Van Gogh's ear, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, Denny's, which gives me some high school flashbacks that I'm not enjoying. Exactly. Yeah. It could have been Perkins and it would have been the same thing, you know, like not quite the same thing, but yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think also reading this as I'm sitting, I mean, I'm sitting in Minneapolis right now, just a few miles from where the George Floyd uprisings happened. And I mean, even just a couple blocks from my house, there were marches, you know, we could see the tear gas in the air. So the idea of confronting the police in this way is so, it has an extra like electricity to it for me mm-hmm. because- I saw that happen outside my window. I mean, I was, you know, like it, it gives that, that sort of frisson of danger almost yeah. of, of the almost the impossible. Like I, I, I like that part too, I think specifically in my context. So yeah. yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I love that because one of the things I think is difficult in any sort of protest or in any sort of situation where you're either in a minority or minoritized and there's this threat of violence from police and the state and from people who are not part of the state, but feel that they are reinforced by parts of the state is that the poem finds this humor and finds this joy. And sometimes it's dark, but other times it's mm-hmm. brash and it's bold. And it's one of the things that really stands out for the poem for me, in part because it manages to mix that in with those different kinds of notes of, of sorrow and difficulty. Yeah. There is no true winning streak. You know, even Jackson with his successful, you know, becoming lighter by having taken a piece of him away. That's so painful. And yet so necessary. And I think that that's kind of what a lot of this film is about. Uh, um, about I think I, I go back to that line about the uncle working at the cold factory for 10 years only to use a belt at the end. And it recently sort of in my travels, I suppose you could say, I've met a lot of people who have lost parents by suicide or lost family members to suicide, which is not something that I've ever experienced. And so the sort of listening to them trying to make meaning in the ways that these people decided to end their lives, that really resonated with me as well. So it's um, really, really powerful how it, does that that it manages to get through things like the sadness i love the sadness in him ends in me tonight and yet there's this intensifying sadness and the humor becomes a way to get into that and not to erase it but as a way of 
giving the poem space to talk about suicide, to talk about fear that comes from living in this kind of culture, and that is able to have that sense of whimsy as a way of getting into complexity. And we even get the line, why aren't you laughing? And I love how it's both acknowledging that, that there are things that are funny in the poem, but also acknowledging it's not funny in this moment, because it's right after mm -hmm. one of the interactions with the officer. Do you have favorite lines from the poem? There are a lot that I just have underlined as like, this is great. This is strange and funny. I, I definitely, you highlighted the sadness in him ends in me tonight. I mean, who among us has not felt that way being around a grieving friend who is, or a grieving friend or you know, someone carrying something heavy and just wanting to lift that load and make it better. The preference for mediocre bodies. I mean, I recognize myself a lot in that line because, you know. We're aging, Charlie, and I've dealt with some, uh, you know, chronic issues. And I'm like, yeah, I do have a mediocre body. Like, I'm never going to, I am never going to summit Everest. But then I think about all the, you know, terrible ecological damage. And I'm like, that's fine. Okay. All right. I'm going to just sit here and kind of be mediocre. Uh, like death, we are most useful at the end. Like, how do you, what a great line to like, just put it into perspective too. I think so many of us are so bad at confronting our mortality that the idea of coming to the end of our life and having accumulated yeah. all that power being able to, you know, swing that, that club of agency. I mean, even the line about the uncle leaving this world intact, I think is such a great expression of bodily autonomy in a culture, like in a sort of a crushing capitalist machine. I mean, he's working at a coal factory, like making bullets or making guns in this American <laughs> culture. And yet he decides to go out on his own terms. There is a certain beauty in that, as long as it's sadness. And then, of course, the last line, I'm the last of my kind at the beginning of hope. That's fantastic. I mean, just Feeling like an endangered species, yeah. but still like, oh, this poem was just scrappy as hell. And I, I, I think I, that's the energy that really resonated with me. I wanted to hear you talk a little more about my kind. In a way, it feels like there's an obvious reading of that, of who is my kind. But I'm curious to hear you say more about how you read what my kind is in that line. I don't know if this was in mainstream news, but when Trump was elected, I think in 2017 or something, he had passed some kind of terrible legislation about immigration or about, you know, healthcare for trans people or something like that. It was just something soul crushing. And it was so egregious to the moral senses of certain groups of people that queer people were protesting it. People of color were protesting it. Amish people were protesting it and K-pop fans and juggalos. And I was like, this is the new rainbow coalition. Like if I'm going to march in it, like in some kind of revolution, it's going to be the K-pop stands and the juggalos and the Amish. We're all going to be holding hands and like, I don't know what the hell song we'll settle out to sing, but you know, just a bunch of the sort of scrappy indigenous tribes, like throwing rocks at the empire. You know what I mean? That's, that's my kind. So, um, yeah. and I can't remember who it was. I want to say Donna, Donna Haraway, maybe in the nineties came up with this wonderful idea that there can be queer straight people and there can be straight queer people. So you think of, and this is not a judgment on anyone, but, you know, you think of people who are living lives, like I have two wonderful cousins who are married. My cousin is married to his husband. Uh, they're not actually cousins, <laughs> let me clarify that. Um, and they're beautiful and they're brilliant and they're sort of airbrushed and they live in D.C. and they're having a baby. And it's just wonderful. Like, it's such a wholesome, like, family thing. And that's a very, that's a very heterosexual thing to do, Charlie. But I'm so happy for them because that is where they're finding their, you know, their peace. But then also, I think of Natasha Leone, for example, in pop culture. I have plenty of friends I could, I don't want to like name check anybody. But like Natasha Leone has basically declared herself like an honorary queer person. And everything she does is challenging something about the status quo, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's, that isn't my example of like a very queer straight person. Or I don't, I think she identifies as straight, but. And so those are my kind. Like, are you, are you going to be able to be weird with me? Are you going to be able to be loud with me when other people are being 
threatened. It's a like coalition building. Like, man, I don't like Fago, but I will take a juggalo at my, you know, at my back protesting any day. So yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> Fanta and and make a Fanta fantastic pun before I remembered it was Fago. <laughs> so I'm still giving myself I, credit for the pun. <laughs> I, I give you credit for the pump too, because that's exactly where my my mind went. Yeah. <laughs> so, All these Michigan people and their sodas—I can't keep them straight. Yeah, I love what you say about the my kind, because and I'm always talking about with the, this with students in personal essay classes is that in your writing there has to be a way in for a reader, not necessarily no matter their experience, but I especially love writing that has that way in for the reader, but also reminds the reader don't get too comfortable because I think yeah. that there's at uh, times a universalizing impulse, sometimes that writing follows and sometimes that readers follow. And I love that the stand back here ultimately becomes a way of saying, stand back to the people who aren't going to side with me. And so we get the specificity of the experience with Jackson. And then there are the ways in which it doesn't represent trans experience but is this an example of trans experience and that i mm -hmm. think is a reminder to the reader are you going to be the one who stands up with this whether you're my kind or not and i just think that's really yeah. powerful it was funny when you said the universalizing influence i was uh, just listening to your episode with the delightful cindy aren't you king who i had the pleasure to know and i remember that you had expressed a pretty emphatic preference against a universalizing impulse. And so I was like, yes, he said it again. I can grill him about this, but <laughs> there's nothing to grill. Um, I, I kind of agree with you. I think that my wife likes to joke that America, we're just too big to govern. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I wonder if that's true. Like, I want to hope not, but I mean, oof, Florida, that's all I'm going to say about that. But yeah, I don't think that, I don't think there is a universalizing impulse. I mean, even death, we all experience it so many different ways culturally and personally and what form it takes and how it haunts us. And th even that, the sort of most universal experience, there's no way to, there's no one way in to every reader. Yeah. Universalizing, I feel like is ultimately a means of erasure, you know, that saying that this is what everyone's experience is. And it's often given from a space of a certain amount of power. And I'm just, we have the phrase, you know, the human condition. I just, remembered this has actually happened in Cincinnati and I won't name names, but a conversation at a bar where someone was talking about poetry and they you know, mentioned, you know, I love how poems can get at the human condition. And the other person who was standing with the three of us just made a joke about human conditioner. And that's always what I think of when I hear the human condition. That takes us a little far afield from the poem. I want to talk about the form of the poem a little bit, you know, veering into teacher mode a little bit, but <laughs> I'm teaching right now and I'm teaching a poetry class. So that's where my brain often goes. Oh, I understand. Yeah. For people who haven't had a chance to look at the poem, it's basically for two thirds, three quarters of it, every line is a sentence or two sentences that every line ends with a period or I think in maybe one or two cases, a question mark. And then about two thirds, three quarters of the way into the poem, that changes we get enjambment of stanzas, got this late light in the yard, leaving blood on the bone. And I love the way you read it, leaving blood on, blood on the bone, pause, new stanza, colored fence, that move that I always love seeing in like Marianne Moore and other poets. And it's like the mm -hmm. poem has to change its form in a way that I think echoes changing the form of the body, getting at Jackson's experience and the way that taking a piece or changing a piece ends up making him more whole. And for me, I feel like the poem is trying to do that formally. I like that interpretation. Uh, my mind actually went to sort of the delivery. And I was thinking back 
do you remember back to um, MTV's Poetry Unplugged? Did you watch that back when it came out? No, but I'm going to be trawling YouTube later. <laughs> okay, it was it was revolutionary. I can't remember how old I was, but they basically did an Unplugged, like they were doing for Eric Clapton and all those kinds of things, Rod Stewart, and they did a Poetry Slam one. And that kind of spawned a very minor wave of poetry slams in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And a lot of uh, Vietnamese and Hmong immigrants were, like the young poets were coming up. And, and so I hear this as kind of almost like a slam poet the first time I read it and going kind of going back to my twenties and thirties when I was going to those shows. And it's so declarative at the beginning for this, like you said, those first three quarters. I mean, it's just pronouncement after pronouncement, maybe a question snuck in a conversation and then just kind of, it blows itself out and it, it blows itself out into this, this sort of, I wouldn't call it a screed, but this kind of explosion of declaration finally talks itself out and calms down. And it's like, because, because, because this is why. And I like that, just kind of, yeah, I, you know, that's kind of one of those conversations that I've had where I'm like, ah, and okay, I'm going to be okay now. So that's how I, I sort of read it that way, but yeah. Yeah. I like good poems that take on the, the feeling at times, or at least the mode of performance and maybe rant. I, I don't like poems that stay solely in, in the mode of rant. Rants I find really tedious to read, fun as they can be to perform or watch. But I like that the, the what you said, the, the poem, it's this kind of performance because the speaker's performing for the cop and, and whoever the, the you is. But then there are all these notes that help establish the regularity, all the repetition I know, and then that because, 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 it just ends up being really powerful and feels in a way meditative. The anaphora there has that. It always has that effect on me. Anaphora, that kind of feeling of something sacred or something meditative that I really like. Yes. Almost a, re yeah, a repetition of a mantra or a form of a mantra. Oh, I think you and I, I'm sure you and I have both read plenty of early poets with their rants. I mean, I think that's kind of the, the sort of incubated form of poetry when you're very young. I mean, I don't want to dig oh, yeah. up those, those journals from back when, you know, back at my parents' house somewhere. But yeah, it kind of cools to like, not a lull, but like a, just a hopeful kind of wave washing over the reader at the end there. And I was gonna say, and so like, you know, that community oriented, that reaching out, you know, his uncle, his friend, the trees and family, like himself, like it's just, it's so, it, it comes back, it's centering at the end, which I really appreciate. It's all about community, the last of my kind at the beginning of hope. And there's a tiny grain of salt with this. The last line I, I feel like is a, a nod to the Mary Oliver line what is it you plan mm. to do with your wild and one wild and precious life and we get because what i did with my one short beautiful life was lose it on a winning streak the only grain of salt and this is not mary oliver's fault but if i see that quoted on twitter one more time I'm, i feel like i'm gonna scream like it's <laughs> there, there's this way of online and this is not at all again fair to mary oliver but there's a way in which certain poems get cycled through a lot and i feel like i've read that poem or that last line of hers so many times that i really love seeing this response to it which is i don't think is a critical way of responding to it but that takes it and for me turns it into into something really ingenious and new yeah, I like that too. And just a little self-disclosure here. In the last five years, I've spent some time in and out of uh, inpatient treatment centers for alcohol disorder use and also eating disorder. And my God, if that last line isn't posted on every, like in some sort of translucent sticker on every window next to the bird feeder in like, you know, oh my God. every kitchen and every residential facility, like across the land. Uh, yeah. I think it might be part of the like regulations, like when they come in and inspect the facilities. It's like, do you have the Mary Oliver quote? Okay, good. <laughs> Fire extinguishers working? Good. Okay, you know. 
Are these so. chairs too heavy to throw through a window? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, exactly. I appreciate you disclosing that in self-disclosure. I also have spent a little time in hospital with mental health stuff. So, which I'm going to keep, I'm not going to edit out here because I think it's important for people to to share that. I didn't see the Mary Oliver quote in, in the place where I was, but I don't think they had updated since prior to her birth. So that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> You've got, you are the captain of your fate or you the, you know, the master of your soul. Or something. Which I, I got it. But, and I do read it through that lens too. I mean, this idea that I am by a lot of standards, I think by having in, chosen to institutionalize myself, I can only speak for, for me and my experience that does put me for a lot of people in the category of loser. Like, Oh, you couldn't handle your shit. So you had to go get, you had to ask for help. For me, I, I feel like I approached it in a way that it made me feel like it was throwing those dice again. So I was back on a winning streak. In this poem, there's so much comparison between like the winning and the pain of of kind of having to just like slog through the, that beginning of that winning streak on your elbows through broken glass. You know, you're sort of doing the trench crawl and but it's but it works and you're you know, you're laughing in the rain and it's very simple. And so that might be a little vague for our our analysis here but i think that that is you know the kind of the attitude of the poem is just there's another line that i really like for as long time as i can remember my body was a small town nightmare i mean that is every queer kid or every weirdo in every small town in minnesota and i've met a lot of them and to come from that environment and to realize that they have a kind that they are among their kind and watching that kind of help them grow their wings a little bit is it's a beautiful, it's beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. The beauty in these very unlikely places, like drain bags, like popping on the floor. I mean, that's just, it's gruesome, but it is, yeah. it's a sign of something that's hopeful. Poetry can be a space for the gruesome. Yes. And I think in some instances need to be. But the line you quoted about the small town nightmare is a perfect transition. So the one meaningful bit of research I did has to do with the second line of the poem. I got your wedding dress on backwards and playing air guitar on this dirt road and the grammar is not right. And so my teacher brain and editor brain just had a hard time getting past it. And so what I did is I went and found a copy of Time as a Mother. This poem originally appeared in Granta mm -hmm. and that is the version you shared in time as a mother there are a lot of mostly small changes interesting okay i wanted to run some of them by you and get your sense of them and one of them is that line for as long as i can remember my body was a small town nightmare in the book it's for as long as i can remember my body was the mayor's nightmare what do you think of that wow okay so that was in that was in the book mm -hmm. my head immediately goes towards again sort of the legal destruction of trans rights and trans healthcare. I mean, all of this stuff we have with gerrymandering and I mean, just the political implications of being the mayor's nightmare versus the mm -hmm. social implications of being a small town nightmare. I mean, I can see both, but it makes it, you know, just somehow puts it in like the official ledger. Because first of all, that means the mayor's got to know you, which is not uncommon in a lot of small towns, but I think it really personalizes it. Like it almost gives it like a little edge of danger. Like get my eyes on you that was kind of my feeling i want to share a few of the changes with you and, and get more of your take on this is going to make you sad there are almost no lines cut the only line that is cut is wait a while like death we are most useful oh, at the no. end yeah ocean we shall have words oh my goodness okay <laughs> yeah that's the that's the only line that gets omitted and i love the line too as i was when i was reading the poem and then when i found it was taken out of the book my initial thought was uh, I, I missed the line i think ultimately i'm okay with it because for lack of a better way of putting it it feels a little like an aphorism i guess like like death we are most useful at the end it feels a little even though i i think it's beautiful it maybe feels a little too pat for the tone 
there because what we end up with in the lines now around it it's i know i know the room you've been crying in is called america i'm sorry the door is not invented yet finally after years i'm now a professional loser and i think part of it is that it takes away something that maybe sounds a little aphoristic and it also doesn't go ahead and put the speaker in the space of I'll be dead someday because part of what gives the poem its verve is that this is the speaker. This is the poet who's going to go on being, you know, he's on the, on the beginning of hope. Right. I had printed the poem out here and I marked that up a little bit. And I mean, that would be, that would, I, mean, I know there are really no breaks in this poem. I mean, every line is sort of declarative and or a question and every line is kind of its own stanza, but if, to take that out and make like a break in the poem, like even just to have it as an empty space, this idea that we're crying in America, the door's not invented yet, we're all trapped here. And then just a pause, like a beat, a breath. I'm now a professional loser. Like, you know, just kind of switching the switching the gears from all of us crying in America to look at me. Hey, I got this. I'm killing it. I'm crushing it. That's something I really like about the poem is that there are ways in which there are, you know, these lines slash stanzas that are sequential. And then there are other times it's just... It's like a the subject has changed and we move to something else. And I like that in reading part of what we're doing is kind of sussing out when it's doing one or other or even both at times. A couple other changes that are interesting, some of which none of them make huge changes in the poems, but they I think that they have a ripple effect altogether. One is the Denny's line and the line that follows. So in the version from Granta, that one time Jackson passed out on his triple stack becomes passed out beside his triple stack of jumbo pancakes. And I like that because passing out on it feels a little too slapsticky to me. I was just going to say like coyote dropping the anvil on the. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's sort of a little too curly molary, you know, with the eyes. Oh, the, the stooges. Yeah. 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 There's mm -hmm. a trombone going. Wah, wah. <laughs> So he passed up the side. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The line that follows is, I can't believe I lost my boobs, he said a minute before. And the only change there is, I can't believe I lost my tits. And I was curious what you thought about that. I have to wonder if it was mostly a consonant choice because, I mean, boobs is such a, I, I hear it more when I'm uh, sort of associated with my friends in like more femme identified circles or feminine identified circles, mm -hmm. female identified circles too. And tits is just such a punch of a word. I mean, it's got a little bit more of a locker room to it and mm -hmm. um, not in a gross junk Trump way, but like, you know, it just, it hits a little bit harder. And I think I can see why that's a very subtle word choice, but I think it's, it, it resonates quite a bit with me. You know, earlier when you were talking about, when you were paraphrasing or describing some of what happened, you used the word tits. And I thought <laughs> that word, it just seems better than boobs. Boobs really feels like a 12 year old's word. I'm not going to go through every single one. There are quite a few. I think it's really interesting. I'm going to go back and read these. Thank you for letting me know. Yeah. I did not do my research clearly. Well, no, no, you were under no obligation to. There are, pl there are plenty of others, but if I go through any more, we're going to get wrapped up. It's really fascinating to look at. I don't know if there's a version accessible to people online that I can put in the links. I'll just have to tell you, go find a copy or e-text version of the book. But I'm going to transition to a little bit of silliness now, if you're ready. You know, I'm always down to clown, Charlie. First, a brief ad break, and we have mentioned politics a little bit. Uh, this is our first political ad, which I hope doesn't shed us any listeners. It's from the committee to reelect Bob Frost as county assessor. Everybody knows Bob's qualifications. He's been acquainted with the night. He's versed in country things. He knows which roads have been taken and which haven't, whose woods are whose, property lines, which fences can be built there to make good neighbors. He's been a census taker and a swinger of birches, all the experience you need in a county assessor. Now, he's quite aware that some might criticize him for being assessor for so many terms as he is quite old. 
and he understands your concerns about politicians of advanced age who might freeze up in a press conference or forget where they are. But Bob Frost is whole again beyond all confusion, and Bob Frost has promises to keep. This position is his avocation and his vocation. He is aware that nothing gold can stay, so this will probably be his last or maybe penultimate term. Who's to say? So please vote Bob Frost for county assessor. It would be a real gift outright. Every time I write these, I think they're so stupid. And the great, the good thing about recording a podcast is there's no laughter. And so I can pretend people listening are laughing. I, I've been laughing, but okay. Yes. You probably can't hear my chuckles, but you can see them. Yes. I'm ready. All Hit right. Me. I'm calling this one genius and species, not genus and species, but genius and species. Oh shit. Okay. For each question, I'm going to read you several lines of a poem and you have to tell me what animal it is describing. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm ready for this. I think. If you'd like a hint, I can read a few more lines for anyone. A lot of these are not super well-known, but if you guess the writer, you get a bonus point. If you guess the poem, you get a thousand bonus points. The animal, in most cases, will be general, like dog, cat, elephant, gazelle. There are, I think, one or two that may be more specific, but it's not going to be like Ebert's towhee or something like that. So, <laughs> Are you ready? I hope so. Fire away. Number one, they ripple tensely. They can hardly contain their happiness that we have come. They bow shyly as wet swans. They love each other. There is no loneliness like theirs. At home once more, they begin munching the young tufts of spring in the darkness. Whoa. I am definitely influenced by my own urban landscape here. Honestly, I'm thinking about raccoons, but I know that's not right. I can give you the extra lines. Sure, it's not please raccoons. do. They have come gladly out of the willows to welcome my friend and me. We step over the barbed wire into the pasture where they have been grazing all day alone. Cows. Very close. It's horses. Horses. Okay, that was my second guess. All right. Yeah, and, and you only know it because he basically names them earlier. That's from James Wright's poem, A Blessing. So, number two. Very close. I feel like it, that's easily readable as cows. The only difference is I don't think a cow has ever walked over to me or bowed. And I've at least seen a horse do that. Not for me. I just haven't spent enough time in Iowa. But okay, let's let's call it a beautiful <laughs> short point on my behalf. How about that? I, I, I've spent a few days in Iowa. I've spent plenty of time in <laughs> Iowa. Number two. I hope I don't have any listeners in Iowa. Number two. I love Iowa. Anyway, uh, yes. I, and I'm cutting out a line that identifies it, that just names what it is. Under this loop of honeysuckle, I gnaw the fresh green hawthorn spray. I nibble it leaf by leaf away. What animal am I? Or is it? Uh, my mind is telling me deer, but my heart is telling me I'm not thinking low enough to the ground. But let's go with deer for now. Low enough to the ground is an important distinction. It's not a deer. I, By the way, I always feel like I should say I would bomb all these quizzes that I've come up with. <laughs> well, Charlie, you've been following my Facebook feed for 15 years now. You know the, the only animal I'm familiar with is cats. I mean, come on. You're kind of throwing me in a bind here. That's that's true. I couldn't just give you all cats. Here, let me give you the more. Okay. Down beneath grow dandelions, daisies, old man's looking glasses. Rooks flap croaking across the lane. I eat and swallow and eat again. Bunnies? Caterpillar. Caterpillar. Oh, my. Okay. I was completely off in scale. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
and I didn't know this. I didn't know this poem. It's Robert Graves is the caterpillar. And now I have to research when it was written relative to the very hungry caterpillar. Cause it's all about eating. <laughs> I love that. Well, and okay. I'm going to challenge, I'm going to push back a little bit. Caterpillar. I suppose it is an animal, but I wasn't thinking like insect. Oh. Is it an insect? I don't know. It is an insect. And I have to apologize. I just, it's okay. It's curveball. Look, I like it. I like it. Science is not my background. My wife has corrected me on this before and she's right i just think of anything that is not a plant and not as animal basically anything anything that is uh anything that's that's animate not vegetable not mineral gotcha not vegetable not mineral insect is is an animal i'm making a ruling right now okay number three and this one is kind of abstract so apologies one ran her nose to the ground a rusty shadow neither hunting nor playing one stood, sat, lay down, stood again. One never moved except to turn her head a little as we walked. And I'll go ahead and give you the, the extra lines. Finally, we drew too close and they vanished. The woods took them back as if they had never been. This to me sounds like deer. It should be deer. It's foxes. Foxes. Oh, my. So because I had horses for one, I didn't choose deer for another one, which, which yeah. I know spoils it. And it's the sort of thing where the title tells you three foxes by the edge of the field at twilight. It was Jane Hirschfield. It's the sort of thing where, and I should have realized this when I was putting these together. The title tells you what it is and there's nothing in the lines. Maybe a rusty shadow, but deer, it could totally be a deer. That, that, no, the rusty shadow did give me pause. And this is delightful because um, we currently have three foxes who are kind of haunting our urban neighborhood mm-hmm. in South Minneapolis. And it's been quite the photographic journey on our neighborhood Facebook feed. And so the f- idea that there are three foxes in your head and they're also running around here and it's pretty great. I like that. That's awesome. I love that. All right. I've got three more for you. Uh, number four, visible, invisible, a fluctuating charm, an amber colored amethyst inhabits it. Your arm approaches and it opens and closes. You have meant to catch it and it shrivels. Ooh, I am thinking avian, but the amethyst is throwing me off here. Okay, I, I'm going to go totally wacky here. This is either birds like at a bird feeder or it's an elephant. I got I, that's where I'm at. I like both of those, but neither. Let me give you the next lines. <laughs> it opens and it closes, and you reach for it. The blue surrounding it grows cloudy, and it floats away from you. Man, I am, you have caught me on <clears throat> my least animalized day of my life. I think. Charlie, <laughs> <coughs> excuse me, hit me. What is it? It's a jellyfish. It's Marianne Moore poem, The Jellyfish, which I'm sure I had read at some point, but only re-encountered when I was looking up animal poems. I am certain that I've read that poem, and I am just, man, this is this is why I picked the poem Beautiful Short Loser, Charlie. I'm batting zero here. No, you're, well, technically that's correct. However, <laughs> these, these <laughs> I should confess that I put this together last night when I was very tired and I thought, oh yeah, this gives it away. This gives it away. And now that I'm reading them, I'm thinking, this doesn't really give it away. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't imagine people in their cars thinking, obviously that's a jellyfish. I imagine them thinking, what <laughs> well, is I'm he sure doing? there's someone out there. All right. Number five, he clasps the crag with crooked hands close to the sun in lonely lands ringed with the azure world he stands the wrinkled sea beneath him crawls he watches from his mountain walls and like a thunderbolt he falls so i'm thinking we've got the sea we've got the sort of rugged landscape ringed with azure again i'm I'm kind of my mind's kind of going avian here is it some sort of bird of prey it is 
Do you okay. want to? You, so you're you're correct about bird. Do you want to try okay. for the more specific for a bonus point? Yes, Azure, Azure, possibly a vulture. Very close. It's an eagle. An eagle. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's a uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson, and that's actually the whole poem. <laughs> the eagle. Damn you, Tennyson. The final one. And I have a feeling you're you're going to get this one. I'm just going to read you the whole thing. The only thing I'm cutting is the very first word. Who has passed thy grand climacteric? How many mice and rats hast in thy days destroyed? How many titbits stolen? I don't know why we keep talking about tits on this episode. How many titbits stolen? <laughs> Gaze with those bright languid segments green and prick those velvet ears. But pray thee, do not stick thy latent talons in me. And tell me all thy phrase of fish and mice and rats and tender chick. Nay, look not down, nor lick thy dainty wrists for all the wheezy asthma. And for all thy tail's tip is nicked off. And though the fists of many a maid have given thee many a maul, still is thy fur as when the lists in youth thou enterst on glatz bottled wall. That's a cat. Yes. I saved that one for last. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, who, who, where, where is that one from? That's delightful. That, that is John Keats. That's John Keats. Okay. Yep. John Keats to a cat, which I was not familiar with. So that takes us through the game. I, at some point, I'm going to get a handle on where the, where the difficulty level should be with these games. I have not figured it out yet. So. Oh, I, I think, get... I think it's absolutely charming. I think it's delightful. So, um, well, just because. Floundering together is what greater bonding activity is that is there than that? Exactly. Let us flounder then, you and I. Too. So thank you, <laughs> Will. Thank you so much for being here. Anything you would like to add or plug or say before we sign off? Just thank you for doing this. I'm so glad you got it off the ground. And it, it was a delight to hear your voice when I listened the first time because it had been a long time. So Yeah, I'm so delighted to see you and hear your voice. Oh, you remain a charming song, Charlie. I have my moments. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Read some poems, pet some dogs, support striking workers wherever you find them. And I'll talk to you very soon. Bye.